Welcome to the Ink Feather podcast, which explores the worlds of sci-fi and fantasy books through those who bring them to life. Every week we chat with authors and industry pros about their books, including new releases and old favorites. I'm Lauren Zurchin from the Ink Feather Collective, and this is episode 51, where I chat with best-selling author Adeline Grace. Adeline Grace just had a brand new book release on February 2nd. It is the second in her duology. It is called All the Tides of Fate. The first, which was All the Stars and Teeth, hit New York Times bestsellers list. It was a really delightful book to read. Um, And I say delightful, meaning like it was like action packed and had great tension and romance and like great twists at the end. um, And all the tides of fate just takes that to the next level. So I was really excited to have Adeline on the podcast. Um, We talk, we go into detail about this book, I will say, and I say it again, when I start talking to her, if you have not read book one, you do not want to listen to this yet, because we don't spoil book two very much. We do talk broad things about book two, but book one, we definitely spoil and reference. So if you want If you have not read book one, this is probably not the podcast to listen to right now. Read book one first, then come back or read them both and come back. Because like I said, we don't go like, you know, the bad guy or this thing happened at the end. We but we do talk like the themes of book two and things, too. So, you know, it's not like spoilery, but there's like loose themes that we talk about. So, yeah, I just wanted to give you a warning on that. But, um, yeah, we talk a lot about the elements of this second book because she like I said she just takes it to the next level there we we have this this politically and emotionally charged book that you know book one left us with some pretty big things and the world is a mess and the characters are a mess and basically she has to pick up the pieces and move forward and it is really interesting to see how Adeline um, kind of shaped the the story with all of the things that, and all of the pieces she had to work with. Um, we talk a lot about, you know, strong female characters and the representation of male versus female characters in books in general. We talk about um, different types of magic. We talk about things like grief. Um, we talk about her upcoming book as well. And then we also... Um, spend quite a bit of time at the end talking about books that we both really love. So I was recommending some middle grade series to her. Um, and she was talking about books that she's read and loved. So that's a really fun chat at the end. If you're wanting some good book recs, we definitely get into that a little bit as well. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of really great things on this episode that I hope you guys enjoy. Real quick before we jump into the interview, I just want to remind everybody again about the Ink Feather Shop on Etsy. It has autographed author swag, basically. I did two calendars uh, a few years ago that featured New York Times bestselling fantasy authors as the subjects. So I got them to sign different pictures um, and sign some book plates, depending on, you know, which calendar it was. So I have products from people like Christopher Paulini and Holly Black and Lee Bardugo and Cami Garcia and um, Patrick Rothfuss and Gregory Maguire, Brandon Mall. Um... Lev Grossman, Lauren Oliver, Cassandra Clare. Like there are just like the list is really long and it's wonderful. Tahada Mafi and Ransom Riggs. Like it's just awesome. So um, they're all authentically signed. It is the authors who signed the swag. It was part of the Kickstarter launch with the initial project. And then I had the remaining um, pieces that didn't sell at the Kickstarter and they now sell, um, I can now sell them on the Etsy. So yeah, if you're wanting some fun author swag that is unique, you can go check that out. Like I said, that's my Etsy store, which is the Ink Feather Shop. I also have a really fun fantasy adult coloring book, which uh, is really fun because 
in my day job, I'm a fantasy photographer and I hired 20 international artists to illustrate my fantasy photography. So there are 40 pieces. It's a really beautifully done book, thick pages, the pages tear out and the artist just, you know, I let them pick from a gallery of like 100 of my favorite photos. So they each got to pick two photos that really inspired them or they connected with and then illustrate it. So it's really fun to see the different uh, styles and the different interpretations of my photography. So I have those. I'm working on putting those in my Etsy shop, but for now they are actually on my website, which is theinkfeathercollective.com. If you go to the shop on the website, you can check those out. I also have postcards, which is a really fun thing now because pandemic and isolation. And I have actually started pen palling with a friend who lives in Arkansas. And it's been really fun, even though I, you know, Zoom with her occasionally and I can call her anytime. Getting a handwritten letter in the mail is just delightful. So you could color a postcard and then send a little note to someone in the mail, or you could send it to them uncolored and let them color it for fun. So it's been a really lovely um, pandemic distraction. Uh, coloring is just very therapeutic. It's very zen. It lets you kind of relax. So I recommend it if you haven't tried it. My coloring book or not, if you are stressed out and, you know, feeling depressed or overwhelmed or need to escape in some way, try coloring. It really is surprisingly um, relaxing and like therapeutic. And I will say I'm, I color like I'm in second grade. Like it's really bad. My coloring, I've always laughed about this. Like as an artist, I'm a very messy artist. Like I'm always amazed by artists who are precise with like their drawing or like their details. I'm like, like I kind of color within the lines, but it's, it's pretty bad, but I still have a lot of fun with it. And it's just for me. And it doesn't matter, you know, if I think it's good or bad, it still does a lot of wonder for my, for my psyche. So uh, yeah, but I, I encourage you if you are a bookstagrammer, or you're on um, social media at all, and you get any book subscription boxes, almost all of the artists I chose are artists who have done art for various book subscription boxes. So you probably recognize a lot of their names. Um, and so yeah, they're the ones I commissioned. It's a very cool project. So yeah, check that out. That is again on the inkfeathercollective.com website and go to the shop and you'll see the coloring books and the postcards. Oh, and there are digital versions of both in case you're international and you don't want to pay exorbitant amount of shipping because right now the shipping is ridiculous. Um, there's a digital version and the perks to the digital version is that um, you can print them as many times as you want. So like it's great for people maybe with kids who really love one particular image. You can just print that one as many times as you want and they can color it, you know, a hundred different ways or whatever. So yeah, I just wanted to make sure you guys are aware of the cool stuff that I have to offer in my shops. And I just wanted to say thanks again for those of you who listened to this podcast. I really love it. It brings me a lot of joy every week, bringing this to you and sharing insight into the creation of these books that we all love. Um, and I appreciate your support. I appreciate you listening. I appreciate every single download. Like seriously, this is, you know, the thought that people are appreciating this podcast and connecting with it really does bring me a lot of joy. So I hope that you continue listening and I hope you enjoy this episode as well. So yeah, I just wanted to say thanks. Okay, now on to the interview with Adeline. I hope you enjoy. Hi, Adeline. Welcome to the Ink Feather Podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. 
I am excited to have you. We are here to talk about your new book, All the Tides of Fate, which is out February 2nd. Uh, this is a couple weeks before its release or recording, but we'll be releasing right around release. So for those of you listening, the first book, which is All the Stars and Teeth, which was out February of last year, we are going to probably talk some major spoilers or I'm, I have a couple questions that will tie into the first book. So if you have not read either of these books, you probably want to at least read book one before listening to this interview. We won't be giving away any major major spoilers of book two, but we will be talking some of the themes and, and character stuff in book two. So if you want absolutely no spoilers, then read book two first before listening. But if you've read one, haven't read two, and you're, you know, we aren't going to be like, and then this happened at the climax, we're not gonna be doing that. So we would be pretty safe. But I wanted to make sure I give you guys a warning before we start. So yeah, second book. This is like exciting. <laughs> It's really exciting. It's super weird to me that it's like about to come out. Still, like I'm looking at it on my shelf right now and it's beautiful. It is and beautiful. It's, yeah. And I'm just like, oh, I wrote that? And it's, it's so weird. <laughs> I mean, it's such a good book. It's such a great story. I love these characters so much. I am often hard pressed to read sailing books and piratey books. They're not as often my thing. And I could not put these down. Thank you. So it is yeah, so great, guys. If you are a fan of the first book and you haven't read book two and are listening, you like pick it up immediately. It's, it's excellent. It's just it's just more of book one, but better. Like, it's great. <laughs> How are you like ele elevator pitched for this series? Like when you talk to people, maybe if someone's listening or like book two, what do, what do you have to say about it? Yeah. So I pitch like the series as, as a young adult fantasy about a morally gray princess who is forced to team up with a pirate in order to save her kingdom from a dangerous magical new threat. The sequel is more about that. It is more political. Mm. It is very like when I'm pitching this book, it's so hard because it is so heavily about, you know, spoilers that happen in book one. Yeah. So this is a lot more, you know, Amora deals with a lot of grief in book one. Mm -hmm. She deals with a lot of loss and suffering and she's mourning. And, you know, she is this young woman who now has the weight of the crown upon her shoulders and the weight of her people. And she's inherited a situation that is massive that now she is responsible for fixing. And, on top of all of that, she no longer has her magic, which is a secret that she is keeping. So she is dealing with a whole lot. She's dealing with the expectations of her people and what they believe that she should be, what a ruler should be. And the, their last ruler was, you know, an older man. So the expectations there are a little bit different mm -hmm. as she is a young woman. So it's it's a lot. It's very politically charged. It's very emotionally charged. Amor is dealing with PTSD and with grief. Um, so it's a lot heavier of a heavier of a book. Yeah, and you're right. It 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 kind of takes the characters and who they are as people from book one and challenges them, especially Amora, because we're in her head too. We can really see and feel what she's where she's at, and like you said, all of the stuff because because like everything is a hot mess. Like oh my gosh, <laughs> right. like and even the good things she's doing, it's basically like uh, I'm making an omelet. It's going to be awesome at the end, but it's scrambled up, like, basically, is kind of how the world has become. And and so, yeah, everything. And now she's kind of having to pick up the pieces and try to figure some things out. I want to touch on one of the things that you mentioned, which is one of the biggest things and that I love about these books, <laughs> is your interpretation of female characters and how 
like badass they are <laughs> like but also just the feminism element and how she just you know it's it's very strong throughout the series and it's I noticed it quite a few times in this book just her challenging people who were questioning her as a woman and I, I just love that you went there I guess take us through kind of the creation of that of her as a character in that sense like you know why why was that important to you yeah well first thank you um, I'm glad that you oh, yeah. have enjoyed that aspect of very it very much so Uh, With a more, you know, I feel like as a society, we have been trained through the media that we are supposed to view women as a certain way, that there's supposed to be like one kind of female identifying character that is right. You know, the sunny, Mm. happy, like they don't always, they should not actually be the ones in charge. Like the man should take care of that. You know, like that's very much what we have been fed for years and years and years and years. And it's getting better. But it's still, there's still definitely a stigma there. And it's really interesting because, you know, I'll, I'll see sometimes people make comments about female characters in books and be like, you know, I wanted to slap this character. Like, they're so dumb. They make the wrong, they make stupid decisions and I just want to slap them. They don't ever say that ever, ever, ever about a male character. Like, that's just <laughs> not a thing. Like, male characters are given so much more freedom to make mistakes, to do wrong things. Mm. You know, if they stab somebody or if they do something like a little bit morally gray they're hot you know they're seen as like that is a cool thing like of course they're like that they're a man we don't get that same luxury with female identifying characters and it's very frustrating and one of the things that led me to creating Amora actually was seeing the debate with Sansa and Arya Stark Mm -hmm. when that show was still airing when Game of Thrones was airing Mm -hmm. Because people pitted them against each other because Sansa, you know, she liked court. She liked court intrigue and she liked the politics. And that was more of her realm where Arya was very much in the thick of battle and the action. Yeah, she was the fighter and Sansa liked the dress and dating. And because of that, Arya was always seen as so cool where Sansa was like, oh, this girl, like she's so dumb. And that was so annoying to me. Like they're both super powerful and they both have different specialties. Mm -hmm. So I really wanted to take somebody who was both of those things. Like Amora loves dresses. She loves fashion. She loves dating. She also loves being the thick of the battle and she loves adventure. Because it's just, I mean, the more characters we have like that, the more we can kind of push against those norms that we have been fed for far too long. The sooner I hope that we get out of that situation and no longer have that and those really just awful unnecessary debates about these women characters well even just women like you said in general like a friend of mine posted recently on social media something like i don't understand the the inheriting the dad's last name the woman you know grows the baby births the baby usually (laughs) is the one who takes care of the baby most of the time like why is this the thing that men get to do like i don't understand she was like genuinely like and people were like oh it's a western thing or what but it was just really funny because i was like huh yeah she's right like think about it but it's just the patriarchy you know it's so bizarre and i mean even for me as a a young woman in this industry Like, I am very ambitious. I'm fully aware of that in myself. Like, if you want to put a Hogwarts house on it, I'm a Slytherin to the bone. (laughs) But it's like, I I feel oftentimes, like, because of that, you are expected to sort of, like, back away and, like, ease yourself up to make people, like, make yourself more tolerable to people. Mm -hmm. And men just don't have to do that, which is so annoying. It's so, so annoying and frustrating. 
So Amora definitely, you know, and all the tides of fate, I feel like she definitely goes through similar things because (laughs) she is, you know, she's, uh, I don't know if I can cuss on here. She's kind of a hard you, ass. I was going to say, you, I've already said it. I was literally, okay, cool. I was just reading. I had written down, our girl is a fierce bitch. And I was like, can I, did I tell her we can swear? Okay, yes, you can swear. Because I actually, I think it was the scene, there was a scene like two thirds of the way through the book. Uh, this isn't super spoilery, where she gets in a fight and she's thinking to herself, oh man, I forgot how much I missed this. I haven't fought in a while. And this is like, yeah, I'm the queen, whatever. Like she was like loving it. And I made a note. I was like, man, she is a fierce bitch. Like I hate this, I'm into this girl. This is great, you know? Yeah. And then there's that other side of her, like literally during that fight. Well, I think it's that fight. There's several fights throughout the book. Yeah, I was like, there's a couple good she, ones. Yeah. Where she's fully aware of like, okay, if somebody sees me right now, like this is not good for my image. Yeah. Like I am expected to be a certain thing. And a whole plot line of the book is her people don't fully trust her and they want a man by her side because they will trust her more and they will support her more as their queen if they know mm. she has like a man who's going to like, quote unquote, tame her. And that is gross. So it's <laughs> gross. And it's such an unfortunate truth. I feel yes. like that it's just like as gross as it is and as awful as it is, like that's just sort of like the mm. way of things. And a woman who is more, you know, toned down and has that husband and has that like you you see this woman you know in love that's a whole point of this plot line in the book like they want to see her in love because it makes her softer and that is the thing they want her softer they don't want her like her father could be which is you know fierce and somebody they can go have like a drink with they don't expect that of her they don't want that of her because she's a woman Meanwhile, she's more fierce than her father ever oh, for sure. was. Like, she's incredible. Like, I, I sometimes when I read tough characters, I feel like sometimes there's a a telling, not a doing. Like, they're like the author is very much like she's a badass assassin, or she's a, gonna. <laughs> she did all this training at the thing, but we don't see it, and then all of a sudden we're just supposed to believe it. Whereas this girl, you see, she was literally bleeding and like scraping for her country. And mm-hmm. like in book one and like now she has this like resentment in book two. She's like, oh, my God, if you guys only knew all the crap that I did. And even with the stuff you do know, you're making me go find try to find a husband. It's yeah, it's kind of ridiculous. But you're right. Yeah. There's so much truth to that as as a societal expectation and norm. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately. Yep. Yeah. I remember this is actually triggering a weird memory for me. I lived in I lived in Salt Lake City in my early 20s and I worked at like a I was like a nutritionist and I had a client come in and she I think she must have married young and had multiple babies and she was just like asked me she was like, "Oh, are you are you married?" I'm like, "No, I'm single." And she was like, "Oh, it's like it's okay." She actually put her hand on me like, "It's okay." And I was like <laughs> like and like I it was very like she genuinely felt sad for me that I didn't Oh have. my gosh. Yeah, it's <laughs> weird like, like you... it was weird, yeah. Yeah, you think it's something that like is gone, like sometimes you forget about it. But it's things like that that mm-hmm. just stop you and you're like, oh, actually, like this, there's a huge, huge part of society that still like believes this and still like expects this of women and still has these roles. It's yeah. so bizarre. Yeah. I mean, that must have been really fun writing that. Obviously, who she is was deliberately written by you. So just creating mm-hmm. her as a strong woman must have been really great to be able to challenge those things. Yeah, I love Amora. And I think, you know, she sometimes gets 
a lot of harsh reactions from people. I feel like she's very, like readers are very divided. Cause really? she is, you know, yeah. Cause she's morally gray and she does a lot of things <laughs> she and does. she's a woman. And I feel like a lot of the things that she does, again, if it was like, oh, if it was a I male, like if it was Kaz Brecker from yeah. Six of Crows, like, it, the th- they she do the does same the same thing. shit. Yeah, exactly. 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 <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's so funny because that's exactly why I love her. I mean, it's just amazing how different it can be. And it was really, for me, it was really enjoyable. I And even like the the side characters, the female side characters, there's a big chunk of book two, not a big chunk, there's a scene in book two where like the three of them are together. There's a couple of times that the three women are together. And <laughs> it reminded me almost of like Black Panther, how like the, the protectors and the warriors were the women. I was like, this is great because like the men who know the queen and are in their group are trusting that these women are as powerful and as capable as they are and can protect her as well as they can because it's a group of like people who know what they're capable of. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And if anything, I think the women are more dangerous than the men. Yeah, for especially sure. in this group. For yes. sure. Yeah, Fatea and Shanti. I would, I mean, if I had to pick a fight between those two or Farrakh and Bastion. Absolutely. 100% I'm picking Farrakh and Bastion. Yep, the like, girls would kill you instantly. Like, yeah. they're very scary, but like in a great way. Because <laughs> they're also all like hot, which is great too. Because they're like, <laughs> oh, you don't fall for my tarps. All right, I'm going to eat your face or I'm going to you know poison yeah, you I really, or I mean that was important too like I wanted them to embrace like you know be comfortable in their skin and like think of themselves as beautiful and as you feminine. know however they yeah and as feminine however they want to mm-hmm. be because I also feel like that's you know something that oh we're not supposed to be we're not supposed to think that way Shh. yeah it is weird like and it's funny because I can think of examples in my life of friends who are both of those things, but I know them and I remember that because they are often the exception, which mm-hmm. means we also have a lot of work to do in, in yeah. life. So I'm glad that you wrote them this way and it's been a pleasure to read. Well, thank you. Yeah. And I, I just, you know, seeing seeing how things went in book one and seeing how things continue to grow in book two with our characters, seeing what she is willing to do for her kingdom is a lot. And, you know, one of the other things you mentioned in kind of the intro description was the loss. And I want to talk about the loss because that is the one of the most prevalent themes in this whole book mm-hmm. is is the significant loss of our main characters, plural. Like all of them have something or a lot of them have things that they're dealing with. And But we're in her head. So obviously it's very relevant to us as readers mm-hmm. because she's having nightmares that are pretty awful. And just, you know, there's, you know, loss comes up in, in a big way multiple times. And I, I want to kind of talk about, I guess, why you decided to go that route. I mean, because I think that people definitely would feel grief, but it, it's, you know, is it always the trauma? And is it because of the traumatic experience that she would have the trauma? And do you know what I'm saying? I guess I'm saying like, why didn't you just have them occasionally agree, but it actually becomes almost like a pivotal plot point in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I just felt like I needed to be true to her character. Like I felt, I feel like a lot of times in stories that grief can get glossed over because it's not a fun topic, you know, that's it's what not I mean. Fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's something that is, is heavy and is painful, but it's such a part of her. And it's something that so many people go through mm. that it doesn't feel right to always just gloss over it. So it's definitely an important, it's a huge part of the story. It's probably, you know, the the core number one I would part say. of this story yeah. Yeah, is her 
dealing with this grief. And like, let's remember her dad died right in front of her to save her essentially so that she can fight the villain from the first book. He took himself out of the equation to give her a chance and to have that like weighing on you and all the, the whole time and all the stars and teeth, you know, she just wants to talk to him and she wants the truth from him and she never gets that opportunity. And the last thing that she says to him too, is that she does not forgive him and that she could not forgive him. I didn't realize that. I didn't Mm -hmm. think Mm -hmm. about that. Wow. Yeah. I mean, because it's basically throughout the first book, he's he's become a a bad guy in a way. Right. Like, you know, even though he's her dad and she loves him and whatever, she has these great memories and but he, everything was a lie and he was deceiving her. And but then to have him make the ultimate sacrifice for her at the end, it's I mean, the, the, you're right. Carrying that on your shoulders is a lot. Yeah. I mean, he did a lot of horrible, awful things, but they still very much love each other. You mm-hmm. know, there was, there, that was never fake. That was always there. They have a lot of love for each other mm-hmm. and to just lose him like that and never fully get to talk to him, never get the chance to like have him make it right or to help him like make it right is always weighing on her. It weighs on her, you know, every single moment of like her existence and just the, what could have been if only, you know, she'd gotten there a little bit sooner, if only she'd figure something out sooner. So I definitely wanted to explore that because I feel like that's just such a natural reaction. You know, if somebody like has something so significant happen to them, you always wonder like, oh, well, well, what if, like, what could I have done better? What, yeah. how could I have fixed this? Yeah, that makes sense. When just even, you know, like grief and loss, just even non-traumatic grief and loss is mm-hmm. still triggers you you know like especially like you know nine times out of ten we're gonna have to bury our parents mm-hmm. you know and so it is a it is a common grief but that doesn't mean it's any less painful you know right so it's it is something that even if she didn't have this horrible experience happening you have a lifetime of love that makes you miss that person if it's i mean if you have a healthy relationship with your parents so it, it sounds mm-hmm. like she did in the overall, you know, it doesn't sound like he was a bad dad. He was just morally gray. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he made mistakes, but she definitely loved him. Like he was a, a good father to her, despite all like the lying and everything, like they still had a great relationship. So yeah, it's just, it's just definitely natural. I feel like too, to just be like, well, if I had just figured out the truth, could he, would he have changed? Like, could I have changed him? Could I have mm. fixed this? And that's definitely something that she's battling too within the book. The what ifs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, it makes for great storytelling because, you know, for a good chunk of book two, it's like you're saying she's dealing with it. And I was thinking or not dealing with it. Like, you Mm -hmm. know, it's running away. She even recognizes that she's running away and she's just like, I I just can't right now. So, yeah, to see that her her go through that and how it affects her friends and and what how it affects her as she continues to work through it has been very interesting to read. And I'm I'm glad you didn't shy away from it because I think it adds a lot of depth to the story. Well, thank you. Yeah, I just didn't know how to write a book two without that because it, it just felt like I would have been lying if would have felt mm. like I was glossing over all the important things that happened in book one if you just kind of ignore them and focus on oh cool they're going sailing and they're having an adventure like that's <laughs> not that's yeah. not at the core you know what the story is yeah and it's not the same feeling I mean she even reflects on that where she's like you know, I'm back on the ship, but it doesn't it doesn't feel the same because it's not the same beginning, uh, you know, because right. at first she was just 
trying to escape and survive. And now this time there's a, you know, a, a bigger purpose in a sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very interesting. <laughs> Talking about the ending of book one, too, I thought it was really great how you kind of killed the villain at the end of book one. (laughs) (laughs) Not that there isn't stuff in book two that makes it like riveting because there are, but Mm -hmm. I was like, huh, okay, cool. Like the bad guy died. That's (laughs) cool. Now what? Like, and I was really curious to see, I guess, take us through like when you were plotting these out, where is that just naturally how the story fell? Because even though they're very much connected, it really is like, okay, that happened. And now she's dealing with the aftermath. It's almost like the second book adventure, including the climax, is like the story that we don't often get to read because it's usually we read through up the bad guy dying and then right. happily ever after or whatever. Yeah, I mean, Caven was interesting for the first book, but I didn't think that like his storyline in the rebellion was enough to really carry through for mm. a series. That makes I sense. wanted, yeah, I wanted to show the aftermath. Like Amora does something at the end of book one. You know, she breaks this everybody can only ever practice one magic and she breaks that rule she breaks that law and allows everybody to practice magic and I feel like if I was just like and everything was happy and wonderful (laughs) and then you know they sailed away and went to explore you know that's not reality that's not reality and that didn't feel realistic so I really wanted to focus on okay well what happened now, because not everything is going to be happy, cool. There's going to be some people excited to learn all these other magics, but that's going to change the whole landscape of the world. So let's examine that. Let's examine, you know, the the politics and how everything is going to be changing there. Let's examine, you know, her role now in power. And there's just so many other things to explore, like that and her grief and her relationship with Bastion and this curse that it just did not feel necessary to, like, have cave in on top of that. I mean... Yeah, <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> I'm just usually that is, um, I mean, not always, because obviously a good book has multi, mm-hmm. is multi, multifaceted. But I just, you know, it was it's a little atypical in a, in a good way. Like, I just really was intrigued. I was like, huh, cool, he's dead. So now what's who's <laughs> is there another bad guy? It also kind of reminds me of like, <laughs> and this is ties into you. I saw in your bio that you worked on The Legend of Korra. Yeah, I turned on it. Yeah, that is like Avatar is like my favorite TV show ever. So I'm like <laughs> a huge fan. And so it reminds me of like, you know, oftentimes we get like an Aang storyline where there's one villain over multiple books, right, multiple right. series. Whereas Korra, it was like each season we had different crap going on. Like it mm-hmm. reminds me of that in a way. Like, yeah, it's like different challenges that keep arising. And that's just, you know, that's also reality in life. Yeah. And it's funny because like I personally love that storyline in Avatar more than Korra. I love how there's one villain and the whole arc is about defeating that. Mm-hmm. I feel like that feels very natural. And with Korra, it did like, it's a little bit more stilted because it's like, oh, season one has one villain. Season two has a different yes. one. It's a whole different storyline. I agree. Um, and I love that with Avatar, but it just, yeah, it just, I guess it's whatever feels right for that story. Cause it just did not feel natural for all the stars and teeth and all the tides of fate. Like there's still, you know, a quote unquote villain who we meet in this book, but that's not like the, it's not like the overarching it, yeah, it's dude. Not who's the overarching this point. Yeah. Who's mm-hmm. the, like the name that's hushed and that, you know, that guy. Yeah. It's not like, Oh, let's, we need to defeat this person. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, like I, I think 
I'm enjoying book two more than book one. I really am. I think it's because, you know, I'm invested in these characters and I loved the story of book one and I really, you know, seeing them be real. And she's very relatable, I think, in a lot of ways with that grief because she doesn't like the show. She wants to just mm-hmm. be herself. And I think that that reads really well. So it's making for a very enjoyable story. I will say well, that. Thank you. You're welcome. I'm really what, glad. <laughs> was that swapping three? Was that a blind bandit nod? That reminded me of that scene. I don't know if that was deliberate no. or not. Oh, I know what you tra- yeah, I know what you're talking about. It's really funny. So I somebody tagged me on Twitter the other day with an image of that. Yeah. They were like all the stars and teeth without any context. Mm-hmm. And they had that picture where Toph is trying to pick out the rocks from mm-hmm. under like the yeah. The guy's sleeve. No, I didn't even think about that until <laughs> they like posted that picture and I was like, Oh my gosh. It totally I was just reading it earlier today and I was like Huh. I was like, this reminds me of that scene in, in in Avatar. And then I was like, so funny. Oh my gosh, I forgot she worked on Korra. Maybe she's, maybe it was <laughs> deliberate. It was some like Easter egg. Nope. I love that it's just happened. So that's really cool. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I should lie. You're like, oh yeah, it's totally blind bandit. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just a nod to my show. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> it's so funny. Tying into the kind of what you're saying about the islands, the magic system is so cool. I love how I love the way you develop the different types of magic and how we're kind of growing even as the story continues because, you know, we learn some things that are surprising about some of the magics, even like halfway into book two, which is really cool. Why did you decide to go this route with the magics? Because they're some are elemental, some are mental, some are, you know, spiritual. Like it's really cool how you kind of created and brought it all together. Yeah, thank you. I mean, for the when I was writing All the Stars and Teeth, it was very much just like pen and paper, write down all the magics that you can come up with that you think are cool. Mm. And I wrote down a ton, narrowed it down to the seven, but my focus was on, you know, what seems familiar enough, but that I can put a twist on. So for like elemental magic, for example, we see more in All the Tides of Fate, how that kind of works and how they are adapting it. Yeah. Um, and so this new sort of thing that is kind of almost like performancey, that's almost a little bit like circusy. And I had never seen that before and thought that that was really like a fun take on it, kind of like a Cirque du Soleil sort of take on it. Mm. Um, so all these different magics, I just wanted something that was that I could I could twist and that I could spin and make interesting and kind of feel new yes. and with all the tides of fate it's interesting because magic is entirely different now and people are still yes. this is a new period where they are adapting to it and figuring out how they can merge these magics now so that was a really fun part of it like how okay you take mind magic and you take curse magic what can you do with that what mm-hmm. can you take with enchantment magic and elemental magic you know, that's one of the ones that we that we see that I thought was super, super fun to get to play with. Yes, agreed. So yeah, it's just it's a new they are in a new phase of life right now with this magic and it's limitless. They I'm sure will come up with like a bunch of different magics um, in the future because they just they get to explore and play so much now that they never had the opportunity to do before. Mm-hmm. And I just I think it's really neat because even the main characters are caught off guard to get they're like, oh, crap, that person has a second magic now. Like, yeah. they have to almost remind themselves like, wait, how did that just happen? Oh, wait, duh, we, they can do that now. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. it made me laugh. Yeah, no, it it it's really interesting to kind of see how it 
combines and how things play out. But even things like the mind magic with like the levitation, which is you think often like, oh, it's flying. That's air magic or something, you know, like how you Mm -hmm. connected it in different ways. I just thought it was really creative. As someone who reads a lot of magic, (laughs) I review a lot of (laughs) fantasy books. It felt fun and fresh. I really liked it. Yeah, I just wanted to have fun with it, too. I mean, like if I am going to have to work on this book for a year You know, Mm -hmm. if I'm going to have to like dive into it for revision after revision after revision, like you want to enjoy it and have fun. And I just wanted to really play with the magic because I I wanted it to feel fresh and fun and bright and vibrant. Do you have a, if you could do a magic or like pick an island, is there a (laughs) choice? I'm sure that probably changes all the time because they're all very cool. Yeah. So definitely, I feel like I really like the town of EK. I feel like that would just be fun. I don't know if I'd want to live there or just visit though, because it's... Mm. It's so vibrant and flashy and filled with taverns and people just like having a good time. And also with that magic, like it would be so nice to never have to get ready. Like you just snap your fingers <sighs> right. and or blink and then your hair is done, your makeup's done. You're wearing like this gorgeous, sparkly, wonderful outfit that you can just change at a second's notice. Yeah. Like how much time would that save? You know, that would be amazing. And like, like self-esteem through the roof because it's like, right. oh, I want to try Auburn curls today. Yes, that sounds great. Or like, I know. <laughs> I'm going to be purple from head to toe. Yes. <laughs> like, it is really cool. The, I mean, I don't know. They're all, I like the mind speak. I think that's really mm-hmm. cool and interesting, especially because they can do it across worlds, like across islands. I mean, granted, right. we have telephones, which is like, <laughs> like, I need to like talk to my friend in California through her mind. But yeah, that's like the telephone. Yeah, but it's it is really interesting to think about and I I don't know, I think they're all one of the things I really liked, I guess, is how you handled what is called curse magic. You hear that word, you think it's evil, you think it's bad and how right. it actually isn't. It's actually got I mean, anything can be used good or bad, really. But like it's mm-hmm. not this evil thing. It's actually this can be this quite helpful thing. Yeah, it's got like protective qualities to it. That's how it was intended to be used. Just like mm. a more soul magic had a very different intention than what she ended up with. Hmm. Yeah, it 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 reads really fun. It is interesting to see kind of how it all plays out. But yeah, this has been <laughs> these have been a delight to read. I did the first book on audio actually. I did I have alternated between and I really enjoyed the narrator as well. So Oh well good. We have a, a different one actually though for all the tides of fate. So I haven't heard her yet. I've heard her audition, but I haven't heard like the actual book yet. So I'm really curious to oh, to hear that. Cool. Yeah, yeah, that'll be interesting. I don't necessarily always think that's a bad thing. Some people are like, oh, no, but I'm like, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be worse. Just it's a different voice. You just, you know, takes a shift or maybe they a lot of people actually sound they try to, I think, sound similar in some ways. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm excited. I really loved her audition. Like mm. it was she's she's phenomenal. So I'm very eager to get to <sighs> actually listen to it. That'll be very cool. I'll yeah. have to check it out when it's out. Are you working on anything new right now? What's what's kind of on your slate right now? Yeah. So I actually recently got to announce my next book. It's called Belladonna. It is a romantic, gothic-infused murder mystery. It is about a girl who can see spirits and who has to team up with death himself in order to find the murderer of her late aunt before he strikes again. And it takes place in this sprawling manor called Thorn Grove that has a very eccentric family. And it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. It's just gothic and romantic. And I love writing death as a character. Is he sexy? 
Yes, he's sexy. I was like, he has to be. Is he sexy? I'm mad if he's not sexy. Like, no, he is. Yeah, he is. I mean, he's the love interest. Mm. So it's been a ton of fun. Cause it's like, I mean, my first book, Love, like Head Over Heels Love, and that got me into the YA realm was Twilight. And yeah. I feel like paranormal has taken a shift backwards for a long time. And I'm just so excited that I get to play in that realm now and that somebody actually like bought this book. So I'm getting paid for it. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually talking to another author during an interview recently about like the, the changes of that. Like she's like vampires used to be hideous monsters and I'm like now they're everyone wants a vampire boyfriend she's like I know it was like hilarious because she was like years ago that would be like the worst thing you could ever think of ever you know <laughs> yeah I mean it's it's a very interesting playground and I'll be more excited to talk about that book like once I'm completely finished with it and it's you know a thing that is actually happening <laughs> but it's just it's interesting to balance like, okay, well, this is death is death, you know, death is a very dark thought. It's a very dark being. So mm. how do you balance that as the romantic interest? Because you want to actually, at least for me, I still want to make death death. You know, I still mm. want to have that darkness and all of that and have them be like the the reaper. But also, you know, they have to make out. So yeah, I was like, <laughs> but make it sexy. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> that sounds good. Oh, my gosh. It does. I mean, the idea of that actually sounds really delightful. And it's such an interesting take from or not take. Um, It's such a different shift from these books. Like it's yeah. totally different idea and feel and vibe. So that must have been really fun to kind of shake it up. Yeah, it's really fun. It feels kind of like a, a paranormal Victorian Bridgerton. So I'm having a lot of fun with it. That sounds awesome. That's a great pitch. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> have you read anything good recently? I always like to ask my authors if, what they're reading. And it doesn't have to be fantasy sci-fi. I know my listeners read across the board, even though this is a sci-fi fantasy podcast. So. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I'm reading a lot of manuscripts right now that like aren't out yet or not like officially announced. So I always have to think back like, ooh, okay, well, what is a book that I can actually talk about having read? <laughs> the House at the Cerulean Sea. I might have gotten that title like slightly wrong. I, I always forget yeah, if it's like the House is it, of the Cerulean Sea or at the Cerulean Sea. But I love TJ Clune, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, that came out a couple months ago. I've heard nothing but really amazing. I actually oh, have an so arc of that fun. book. Yeah, it's great. You I would I would highly recommend it. I love that book. I'm reading The Dark Days Club right now, which is mm. sort of like a again like a paranormal Bridgerton. So cool. that's definitely up my alley. I'm very newly into that one. I think I've read like a hundred pages. So that's really fun. What else have I read? Addie LaRue. I really, mm -hmm. really enjoyed. Yep. I haven't read like a YA that's been the last YA I read that is like out is The Inheritance Game. And I would highly recommend that one. Mm. Haven't read that. Yeah, it's really, really good. And it's funny because the main family in that book has like the same name as my family. They're in a manor. <laughs> There's like hidden passages. I was like, oh, <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> we have the same mind. How funny. That's cool. No, those are all great recommendations. And, you know, I've heard of a few of them. So I, either way, it's always nice. I always get like great recs when I ask you guys because I'm always, you know, someone who reads all the time. It's always good to mm -hmm. hear like recommendations. And I've never really been steered wrong. There's never been a book that I'm oh. like, yeah, no, that's not my thing. Ooh, what? Got I know one? what I would recommend. Okay. This is this is what I recently read. I have listened to the audiobooks of it and would 100% recommend them to 
everyone, if especially for those who are looking to maybe shift away from Harry Potter, because there's a lot of stuff happening with Harry Potter right now mm-hmm. and with the author, Nevermore by Jessica Townsend. It is so magical. It is delightful. And it has literally like the greatest audiobook narration I have ever heard. It's so fun. I, this book is, I feel like I can see the title in my head. It's middle grade. It's got like the the characters drawn on it. The first one, they're like coming down from the sky on umbrellas. What's her last name? Jessica Townsend. And I would 100% recommend it. It's so fun. I binged all the three books on, well, there's going to be more, but there's three out so far. The Trials of the Morrigan Crow. Yes, 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 yes. It's so good. Oh my gosh. I love a good middle grade. Me too. Uh, That is like definitely where I'm like where my reading is kind of falling into right now. Cause it's just so light and fun and it's, it doesn't have to be. And I feel like with YA and adult, you always have to like be a little bit heavier and not to say middle grade doesn't have heavy topics, but it's just mm. like, it's dealt with in such a different way where it feels like refreshing to the soul to read middle grade. You don't have like teenage angst. Right. Like, <laughs> they don't have, they're not there yet. They're just like, what is happening? Why? We have to save the world. Okay, let's go. Yeah, they're so like, blunt. Have you read Suzanne Collins's middle grade series? No, I haven't. It is. Oh my gosh. It is. This is, I used to work at Borders Bookstore. This is mm-hmm. like, I mean, Borders closed like 10 years ago. But when at the time I had three middle grade series, I always recommended one was, Percy Jackson, which isn't excellent. Mm-hmm. One is Fable Haven by Brandon Mall. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've read those. And then Susan Collins, uh, Gregor the Overlander. Oh, they're so good. They're I'll so good. Definitely have to check those out. I, that's like surprising to me because she's such a big name that like there's not a movie about that yet, you know, that it's not more heavily mm. talked about. Oh my gosh. Well, honestly, I don't even know if I would have found them. I was I'm friends with her her editor who acquired her for Scholastic mm-hmm. and I had never and she's like have you read Suzanne I was like no she's like I'm gonna send it to you this was you know years ago and I was like all right and I was like oh my god I'm obsessed like they're so good basically it's like the the premise was what if Alice in Wonderland happens under New York City oh okay so this the Gregor kind of falls basically he's going into his laundry to do his laundry in the laundry place in Manhattan and falls into this whole underworld where there's like people with glowy skin and people can ride bats and like human-sized rats and like of course there's a prophecy and it connects to Gregor and he has to oh it's it's, I mean it's (laughs) definitely like not heavy it's like middle grade heavy right um but they're just so well done and Fable Havens also highly recommend um it's basically these kids, these siblings, brother and sister, spend the summer on their grandparents' farm, but their farm isn't a farm. It's actually a haven for magical creatures. Oh. And some dangerous stuff starts happening and they have to save the day. And so there's they're both both of these series are five book series. So though Brandon Mall has written like other stuff in the Fable Haven world. So if you're into them, there's like a bunch now. So but yeah, they're both they're so good. That yeah. So I, fun. They're so great. And like like in book four, they go to like a dragon sanctuary in Montana where it's like really big, <laughs> all the big scary monsters go and they're like, oh my God, we're going to die because it's like all the dragons and like, but even just it's, he just basically took every mythological cool creature you could think of that was like a fairy tale creature and put it in these books and <laughs> they're really good. I love so that about middle grade, like that you can just throw the wackiest things into it. Uh-huh. Like, I feel like if we did that in YA, our editors would be like, um, well, where did this come from? You've never mentioned a dragon before. 
<laughs> Why? Where did the are they underwater dragons? Is there a dragon lair under the water? And I feel like with middle grade, you're just like, yeah. And then a unicorn flew through in the sky. Yep. There, there's unicorns. Yep. That yeah. happens. Yep. <laughs> We're like, even like when I, I remember the first time when I read Percy Jackson, when I read uh, like, I don't remember, remember what those books are hilarious. Have you read those? I read the first one. I definitely need to get into that series. I just, it's so sometimes big, massive series, like sort of scare me off for a while. Well, and I have to like dip my toes into it. So there's the original five. Oh, they're all five. The three that I recommended to you. All three of them have five books. Um, no, they're great. I don't book guys were listening. You're, you're getting all the middle grade recommendations from a, an ex bookseller. You got me started. Here we go. My one of my best friends loves the second grouping of five, which is like the continuation of mm-hmm, those first mm-hmm. five. But I don't know the first five just have a special place in my heart. But oh, but what I was going to say is they're hilarious. Oh my gosh, I was like <laughs> cackling out loud. I, I, I still lived with my parents at the time when I was reading them. And my mom literally, I remember I was like on the couch laughing out loud. And she stuck her head around them from the kitchen was like, what is wrong with you? Why are you laughing? You keep laughing. And I was like, at this point, I was in my late 20s. I had just moved back home from living overseas. And I'm in with my parents and I'm like reading this book. And she's like, what? Why are you here? Why does what is happening? Like, it was so <laughs> funny to me. But that's just it. Like, you know, there's like the climax of the of a of a series or a book and there's like this giant blue monster and his giant blue butt falls and lands on the and it's like she's talking <laughs> about the monster butts and I'm like yeah that would never happen in YA like it's so fun though it's so fun the next one on my list is Arusha and I I was very... actually going to recommend those too they're really good yeah I have the audiobook downloaded right now I'm excited Oh, I didn't do I didn't think of audio. I got I had her on the podcast, so I had an arc. Yeah, they're also really fun because it ties into a lot of mythology, which is really which is cool because it connects she was able to like talk to her grandma about stuff. And yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, I'm excited for that. Oh man, there's so many good books. I know. Too many too many books, (laughs) not enough time. It's like crazy. And then I have like reader's guilt because I'm like, I should like you said with like Percy Jackson, like, oh, I should read that. Like, some books I'll just, I'll die before I never read them, even though I'm I like, know, yeah, yeah, I haven't read so that yet. Many. That's okay. Well, those were all good recs that we both <laughs> gave. And we ended up, I seriously, actually, if I end up doing this, I might have you back on. Because I know Nikki uh, Powell Preto, who wrote The Crown of Feathers. Yeah, yeah. She's really into YA, or I'm sorry, middle grade. I was thinking it would be fun to have like, a middle grade book discussion just about how awesome they are and They're just have so a couple awesome. authors on. Yeah, I might, I might, I, I had for a while been thinking about just doing an episode like that and having like a recommendation and let's talk about why they're great. So yeah, that sounds know. fun. I'm definitely like new to the, to the middle grade realm. It's since being in quarantine, like I've been watching <laughs> K dramas because they tend yep. to always have a happy ending and I've been reading middle grade because it's just like lighter Yeah, and sort of staying away. And it's funny because I, I write the darker stuff and I deal with like the darker stuff in my in my books every day with you know tides of fae is heavier topics and belladonna is definitely like i mean it's dealing with <laughs> death and dead people so mm. it's it's darker it's in the darker realm um but in terms of like what i consume <laughs> it's usually always very like light fun stuff yeah but k-drama is getting to that ending sometimes it's like oh my god it's like they're like tv <laughs> I, I call them tv crack that's what i've been calling them for years because it's like you have to keep watching till the next episode because they just keep going they're just oh they're so good i know they're so good 
but yes, it's always the happy ending and you know, you're going to, you know, there's lots of tropes you can expect, which are yes. great. So They're it's always wonderful. like, I hate that tropes get such a bad rep. Cause like you love them, you know, they're there yes. for a reason. I'm like, Oh God, who's going to get hit by the car? Who's going to get amnesia this time? <laughs> when is the mother going to wail? Okay. What's happening? Like, and I've been, I was telling you earlier, for those of you listening, I li- I've been watching a lot of uh, Thai dramas, uh, BL dramas. And I don't know what, this must be a thing in Thailand. I don't know why they do this, but like anytime anyone feels slightly ill of or, or like is like hurt their knee, I swear, they get like wiped down. Of course, it's by the love, like they have some guy brings in like a bowl with a towel and like wipes his arms and like up and wipes his chest. And I'm like, why? What is, what is, I mean, I get it. Like maybe you're feverish and the skin evaporates. Like I've had like a hot wet washcloth on my forehead when I have a fever, but I don't like anytime I, I'm slightly sick. Oh, hurry up wipe me down but it's become now it's like oh here we go they're wiping them down it's we get that scene now it's like i expected every every series yeah there's always like an intimate moment too like okay now they catch each other's eyes and you know one of them is holding the rag and they're touching hands and oh yeah yeah there's oh that's there's always like the bandaging scene too which i mean yeah there's all it's just they're so good guys if you're not watching k-dramas or or Asian dramas, really. Let's just broaden it since I love Thailand. And I've I've seen some really good Filipino ones. Like, oh, there's so many. I was like, hit us up. We'll give you some good recs. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. I've never cried harder watching or reading anything than I cried at, at Goblin, the K-drama. Like, yeah. watch them, everybody. They're so good. Yeah. They're so good. Yeah. And if you want an emotional Thai... I don't know. BL stands for boys love. I don't know if those of you listening know what that is. It's basically the two main characters are usually teenage or early 20s boys who fall in love. They're really well done. And there's one called Until We Meet Again, which I actually recommended to you earlier, which Mm -hmm. is a wonderful love story. And it's very emotional. I cried every episode, but like in the best way possible. And I don't like to cry. That's usually one of the reasons I read fantasy for escapism, kind of like what you were saying with lighter stuff. Like, my friends who are always reading like the thrillers are like, the girls got lost in the woods and only one came out and then they're adults now and this guy was murdered. And I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, God, I can't. I can't. <laughs> I can't. I don't want to know. I just want to f- have – I want to talk to someone with my mind and float up to the ceiling. Like, can I yeah, just have magic same. instead? You know? So, yeah, I get it. Oh my gosh, this is such a fun interview. <laughs> I agree, this is a lot of fun. <laughs> oh my gosh, and we really got some really cool insight into this story. I Like I said, I didn't want to go huge spoilers, but it is really great to get insight from authors into why the books are the way they are. And and this these both of these books, this duology is so good. And I, you know, I've been in a reading slump for a while. I mean, I read because I have to for interviews, but like mm-hmm. I couldn't put this book down. I was reading it while I was cooking. I was reading it literally before we were on the mic because I have a little bit left and I was like, oh, I got to get this done. Oh, I gotta, <laughs> I, I'm probably going to keep reading once we hang up because I'm really close to the end. You know, it's 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 great. They're, it's great. And I cannot wait for it to be out in the world, which again, when you're listening, this will be out in the world. So if you haven't picked it up yet, go get it. It's really good, you guys. Thank you. I appreciate that. I'm so, so excited to get to talk to everybody about it once it's out and once people have read it. I've already gotten like, you know, a couple messages about people who have read the ending and lots of thoughts there. So I'm so excited. I might be messaging you. Yeah. <laughs> I'll follow you I on just, Instagram. Dude. I just laugh when I get them. I'm like, <laughs> oh, no, that doesn't sound good. <laughs> What? I'm like I'm like 70 pages from the end. Am I gonna be like, what the heck? 
I know. I cried three or four times writing probably the last like 25% of that book. <laughs> oh, God. That's right where I am. Oh. I mean, Amora's in a, she's in a dark place. <laughs> yeah, she is. But I love her. I think the she's great. While laughing. <laughs> I know. I'm sitting here going, oh, God. <laughs> this interview might have been totally different if I've actually finished the book. It's my own fault. Like, Why were you like this? Um, no. I, I mean, that's what we. You know, that's part of the but that's part of the the joy of reading books like these when you're like so invested and stuff happens and you're just you're swept up into it, you know. Mm-hmm. So I will I will let you know. I'm sure I'll be like, what the heck? Or this was great or <laughs> something. I'll message you. <laughs> Can't <done>. wait. <laughs> I'm sure you're like, you're just be like, oh, here we go. Yet another person who's like, what the heck? <laughs> Thanks for listening, guys. Be sure to tune back in next week. If you want to support us, be sure to check out our Patreon at Ink Feather Books, you know. Buy me coffee, buy me dinner, help support the podcast. I would love it. Either way, you can share the word too. And for now, this is Lauren and Adeline signing out and saying bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye.